Hello, and thanks for joining in. I'm Jana Harmon, and you're listening to the Side B Podcast, where we listen to the other side. In my research with 52 former atheists, one-third of them simply felt that they had no need for God. They enjoyed making their own decisions, living life freely without moral constraint. They appreciated atheism's intellectual standing within science and the university. Their lives were generally full and happy. They didn't see themselves as people who needed religion, as a social or emotional crutch to get them by in life. Rather, they were strong, independent, courageous in answering life's biggest questions. When life is going well, life without God works well. When life throws a curveball, which inevitably happens to everyone, it can cause you to step back and reconsider your options, your perspectives, to see if they hold up to see if they adequately address your questions. When solid answers come, you learn to accept and deal with with the issues at hand. When answers seem dissatisfying, it can open you to other ways of thinking about the world, about your life. Once you become willing to see another point of view, answers can start to become clear, but they may not be coming from a place or a position that you want to believe. What happens then? In our story today, that's the dilemma our former atheist faced. Someone who had no need for God realizes perhaps, well, that he does. Not merely because of his own need, but because it was true and provided the most satisfying answers for his questions and his life. Warren Primus was a former atheist but is now a Christian. He is a successful business owner, father, and family man. I've had the privilege of getting to know his daughters, Courtney and Sarah, both brilliant and beautiful. If they are any reflection of him, which I believe they are, it is an indication that he has done something very right in his life. Welcome to the Side B Podcast, Warren. Thanks. Glad to be here. As we're getting started, Warren, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I live in Atlanta and have a small business that's a a wealth management company with four partners, including my son. Um, So I have three children. Um, My son is about to get married. The other two are married and each have three children of their own. So I have six grandchildren. And uh, I uh, have all my life been an athlete and I still play basketball in my 60s and tennis and golf and I'm a fisherman. So those are the things I spend my time doing when I'm not working at the company or playing with grandkids. Oh, that's that's fantastic. I guess the beautiful thing about all of those sports is that you can still be outside and still enjoy them. I know my my husband his his golf game has gotten a lot better during the coronavirus <laughs> for some reason. Um, because it's an outdoor activity, it's something he's been able to do. So I, I guess uh, you've been able to still enjoy your sports. Yes, golf and tennis in particular uh, have been very popular. Basketball, however, is kind of on the outs. No one's playing basketball. But I tell people that if we start and you got to do social distancing and stay six feet away from me, I'm going to score a lot of points. <laughs> Yeah, that would be a good play to good way to play basketball, certainly for sure. 
Well, let's get started with your story, Warren. I'm I'm so excited that you're here today, and I want to hear all about it. Uh, but we want to start really at the beginning. I want I want to really understand where your atheism was formed, how you know, just the context in which you grew up. So why don't we just start there at the beginning in your childhood? Tell me a little bit about kind of the 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 community, the culture where you grew up. Uh, was it religious at all? Was it urban? Was it rural? Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. I grew up in uh, upstate New York, out in the country, uh, about five miles outside of a small town of Scotia, New York. And uh, my dad was uh, an engineer at GE. And uh, uh, so as, as I was growing up, um, you know, my dad taught me that uh, there is no God. God is for uh, weak people that uh, need a crutch, and and we're strong. We don't we don't need crutches. Um, and you know, I loved my dad, and my dad was actually was a very good dad, a uh, very good father. And so I bought into uh, that fully, um, and it. Uh, it kind of gives you a prideful thing, knowing that you're strong while others are weak. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, for instance, in the third grade, or maybe it's the second grade, when uh, we had Christmas carols, where all the parents file into the cafeteria for the, uh, and all the kids get up on stage on, on the stands and sing Christmas carols uh, for the parents. Um, when the religious songs were sang, I was I had to get down, walk down from the stands, and go behind the curtain because I was not allowed to sing the religious songs. Uh, if we sang about Santa Claus and Rudolph, I could sing those. I sang those songs, but if it was about away in the manger, I was not to sing those. So um, <clears throat> I was definitely a little different than the other children in my little school. Um, <clears throat> There was one family down the street that were Christians, and and uh, they were they were a lot of my best friends, and I played with them all the time and really liked them. But um, you know, it was too bad that they had to believe in God. Um, so we did go to church. Uh, we went to the Unitarian Church, and uh, the Unitarian. Um, preacher or pastor, whatever they call him there, he gave my uh, my father a saying that my father really liked. He told my father, um, I'm not an atheist. I'm an agnostic with atheistic leanings. Mm. And um, <clears throat> so that's my dad really liked that. And so I really liked that too. When I was in the fourth grade, my brother and I rebelled against the Unitarian Church. And I tell people it's because we felt it was too conservative for us. <laughs> and so it was, uh, it was Sunday morning and my mother was getting dressed and everyone's getting ready for church. My brother and I ran up in the woods and hid and my mother came out and yelled for us. And we never came back until an hour later. And so after that, we never went to church. Uh, that was our way of telling her that we didn't want to go. <laughs> yes. Yes. Obviously. Um, well, just as a curiosity, why did you go to the Unitarian Church if you were really, or your family, or your father was really pushing against 
religion or religious things at that time. That's a little bit curious for me. Well, I mean, Unitarians, um, you can basically believe whatever you want to, as long as it's not Christian. Um, <clears throat> at least that was my impression of it. And uh, they, it was more of a social thing for them. They, they enjoyed those people because those people um, were well, mo- mostly atheists. And, but they, they enjoyed doing the um, function of church for the social reasons mm. and hearing the uh, preacher preach about um, basically about social causes and, and complaining about Christians. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense that they were just wanting some community and, and, uh, that was a way to do it. Let me ask you too, about that family down the street, that family that were Christians. Was there anything about that family that, was attractive to you or their faith in any way? Did it seem to inform their lives? Uh, it definitely informed their lives. And um, I knew that uh, the dad there took a real interest in me. And he, uh, I could tell he really loved me. And there weren't many other dads like that. So that was impactful. I'm still in touch with uh, that family. I was on the phone last night with one of the boys. There's four boys in that family. One of them is a pastor up in upstate New York near where we grew up that I'm still in touch with. And and uh, I really give him a lot of credit for praying me into the kingdom because I know he did. Wow. Oh, that, that speaks very highly of him to have been that part of your life for that long he was three years older than me and he kind of took me under his wing um, and mentored me as a friend, not, you know, without any spiritual side to it. So you had this Christian father down the street and you had a father who was agnostic with atheistic leanings. I I find it a little bit curious too, to have a father who at, at that time in even American culture who was atheist. Was there something that informed his atheism? Because he seemed to have a pretty strong uh, resistance against religion to not even allow you to sing songs that were religious in nature. Yeah. Um, I, I can't tell you for sure how he came to his beliefs, but I do know that when he, he grew up on Long Island and when he was four, his father left the home to go live with his girlfriend in New York City, and he only saw him once ever again. And, you know, a lot of people get their view of God by their view of their father, and his father was not there. Mm. And in addition, um, he, when his dad left, uh, his mom moved in with um, her two boys into grandma's house. And when grandma uh, died, uh, the church took over the house because apparently the grandma had willed the house to the church. And um, they kicked my grandmother and my father out with their and his brother. And so their view of the church was very negative because 
they had kicked him out of their house. And that's how he viewed it. Well, I can I can appreciate why he might have pushed back against God, uh, considering his father and the way that the church treated his own family. I can see why he would want nothing to do with it. Um, so thank you. I think that brings some clarity really to the context of your story. Um, now, grow, back to growing up, you said that sports was a very important part of your life. Uh, so I would imagine that that kind of occupied you growing up. Uh, you were athletic. I think probably were you athletic from a, a, a young age? Yes. Um, <clears throat> I mean, sports was really important to me and basketball in particular kind of took over in junior high. And then I was, uh, you know, a really good high school basketball player and I got a scholarship mm -hmm. to play in college uh, and it was, it was what I loved to do and, um, put all my passion and energy towards. So it sounds like you had a real full life, that it was a good life and you really had no need for God growing up. That just wasn't something that was a part of your life. Only if he could have helped me get better in basketball was the only reason I would have needed him. <laughs> Okay. Well, it sounds like you were pretty good on your own, wasn't uh, weren't you? Well, I mean, I did have a good career. Um, did you and, Did you go ahead and play basketball in, in college or university level? Yeah, I, I played at the University of Vermont. Uh, I had a scholarship to play there and was a starter for four years, ended up as the all-time leading scorer at the university. So, yeah, I played a lot of basketball. Oh, that's quite impressive. All-time leading scorer. Wow. Um, so your life was going as uh, just as well as it could be, really, without God. There was really no need. Um, so tell me then what what changed in your life, What uh, or just continue along in the journey. Uh, what happened next, maybe after you got out of college? First thing that happened is, in college, uh, I had uh, a college roommate for four years who was also on the basketball team. And we were best buddies in, until about halfway through. Uh, he got hooked in with the, the campus crusaders, and he became a Christian. And uh, so he stopped running with me and our friends, and he started hanging out with his Christian friends. And it uh, irritated me quite a bit. I and, bet. You know, we stayed roommates and and um, we were cordial to each other and friends, but um, that had put a pretty serious divide between us. So that happened. And then I met my wife in college and uh, we got married two years out of college. Um, and then, and everything, like you said, everything was going well in my life. I had gotten a job with GE and was doing well in my career and, uh, had no need for God. Uh, and then my wife got pregnant and, uh, at six and a half months along, we found out we were having twins and that was very exciting, uh, for us, for me. And I was about to become the most naive parent in history, I think. And then uh, two days after we found out we're having twins, 
I got a call in the office and had to rush home in a snowstorm and um, rush her to the hospital uh, in, in the snowstorm with her in the um, back of my uh, hatchback uh, uh, yelling, I'm having a baby and oh. uh, getting to the emergency room and, and um, the first of the twins being born, you know, five minutes after we got there. And um, then the second one shortly after that. Um, so that was a hugely emotional time. And they, those babies lived for a day and they died. Oh, goodness. I'm so sorry. Took us from the excitement of We're having twins to the pain of they, they died. And uh, we were very well taken care of by the, that hospital in New Jersey. Um, that helped us to start the grieving process. And it, uh, it changed my wife's heart. And so she was not an atheist. Uh, she had always gone to church and she loved church. And uh, she didn't go to church when we were first married, but um, she loved Bible stories and so forth. But at her church, she never heard the gospel. So this uh, this emotional event turned her heart that she wanted God. And so shortly after that, she joined Bible Study Fellowship, started reading the Bible. And all this, uh, and in fact, during, during our grieving time, she kept saying that uh, this has happened for a reason. Mm. And I hung on to that because it felt good to think that there was a reason. But if you're an atheist... There is no reason that things happen. So, <clears throat> so she um, she started going to the Bible study fellowship, and I started getting a hunger, just trying to figure out what's the truth. Because I knew some Christians, I knew some Jewish people, I knew some Muslims, I knew some Mormons, and I had figured out that it, they couldn't all be true, and I was an atheist. So, um, so, I mean, I just, there was a hunger to figure out what the truth was. And so I started reading books on comparative religions, which eh, was kind of a waste of time in retrospect because they weren't written from a Christian perspective, um, <clears throat> but started reading lots of other things. Um, I got into the first books I ever read that mentioned Jesus in any kind of positive light were... Norman Vincent Peale and Robert Schuller, um, with uh, the positive thinking um, books, and um, you know, <laughs> looking back, uh, their theology may not have been that great, but but uh, it uh, it was something for me to read where Jesus was not a cuss word. Mm. We're going to quickly pause our story for a moment so that I can tell you a little bit about the C.S. Lewis Institute. For over 40 years, the Institute has been committed to developing wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ who will articulate, share, defend, and live their faith in personal and public life. Please consider making a donation to the C.S. Lewis Institute. To donate, go to our website at www.cslewisinstitute.org and click Donate. Thank you. Now let's get back to our story. So at, at this time, your wife is obviously pursuing 
her faith perhaps that she had laid down for a while uh, trying to make sense of this tragedy in your life and she started opening the bible and reading the bible how it sounds like there was some kind of curiosity for you about it and pursuing the truth how did you feel when your wife started pursuing these things as an atheist looking on ah that was, was fine she can she can do that that's uh that's fine, whatever she does, but I'm going to do, you know, I'm, I'm going to pursue my own path. There's, I had a lot of pride and, and so I wasn't paying much attention to what she was doing. Honestly, uh, I had, I had my own internal struggle going on. And that struggle was, you said that there was something kind of birthed in you that wanted to know what was true. Is that what, what was the struggle or can you describe that, or or had did it have something to do with pride? Well, my pride was holding me back. My my struggle was to find out what the truth was, because there's got to be something more. And and it was it was um, you know looking back, it was God just drawing me little by little towards Him. So I had run across some Christians that that. Um, um, witnessed to me and they were, they were people I respected and, um, you know, I listened to what they had to say without fighting back too hard. But my dad was uh, a scientist and uh, an evolutionist and very well read. And I had bought fully into that. I was uh, in science uh, in school. I was a physics major. And, and uh, so all this God stuff was fine, but but, you know, evolution is a fact. And so that, that really was something that I hung on to strongly. So there was a sense of religion is not factual, it's just in blind faith or a story as compared to science, which is a fact. There seemed to be some kind of irreconcilability between science and belief in God in your mind at that point. Yeah, it's basically has proven that, that that stuff's not true. Science has proven that, you know, certainly the Bible's not true and probably there's no God because of science. So you were wrestling with that. Yeah, and uh, but I started reading a lot of books and uh, I got into some, some better, theologically better books. Um, and we had moved to Atlanta. Um probably uh, four months after the twins had, had died. And uh, we were living here for well, a year and a half or two years or so. And as I was going through this struggle, my wife uh, said, you know, we're in the, the South, kind of like the Bible Belt now. We, we need to have a church home. And so I thought, well, that's probably a good idea. Uh, so we started out to try to find a church, which <laughs> if you think about an, an atheist and a, and a maybe perhaps baby Christian going to try to find a church, that would be an interesting thing. Um, <laughs> that, would be, that would be an interesting thing. But you were both basically going to support her, um, I presume? I was going to lead her. Ah. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Yeah, follow me, honey. I'll find us a good church. Okay. Um, well, that that's an interesting <laughs> quest for an atheist, yes. Yeah, well, some of the self-help books I had read had talked about uh, the man being the leader of the family. And so that uh, that was what I was kind of following with that. Okay. So did you find uh, a church home? Did you lead her? <laughs> I did. I We went to several churches and we would leave and I said, well, we're not going back there. That That preacher didn't even believe what he was talking about. <laughs> and and I might have been right on some of those. Uh, it it seems like uh, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> we did go to one church, the the local Baptist church, with a, a preacher that I really liked him. I had known him personally outside of church, but they did this terrible, awful thing there at the Baptist church. At the end of the service, they sang this song and they did an altar call. Oh, and that. Was very difficult for an atheist. I would imagine. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> and he had said something during the service that uh, I remember to this day, which was, when the hounds of heaven get on your trail, there's no getting them off. And um, I kind of felt like, ooh, that's speaking to me. And so we didn't go back to that church because of the altar call. Um, and finally my wife heard about a church that you could go to this class they had that, uh, taught you what the church believed and what other churches believed. And you didn't have to join the church to go to this class. It was, uh, something called an inquirer's class and the church was perimeter church. And so we decided we'd go to that class. We'd never been been to the church. And we went to the, the class, and it was, um, Randy Pope was the pastor. Um, and the class, uh, it was a classroom that had uh, not, it was, it was kind of tight. There's, uh, everyone is, was shoulder to shoulder, sitting in these little desk chairs. And the first thing they did was hand out this form. You fill out your name, and then the first question was, are you a Christian? Yes or no? And... You know, I didn't want to fill it out because you could read everybody else's paper. And so uh, it was very awkward. So I, I put my arm across the question and put a question mark, uh, moved my arm, put a question mark there, and then covered it up and filled out the rest of the form. And um, then you're supposed to pass your paper down the row uh, to collect them. And so mine was folded up. Everyone else's was open. Um, and uh, it was just really awkward. Uh, but that's where I got introduced to Randy Pope, and I really liked him. And I knew he believed what he was talking about. Mm. And uh, so I really, you know, didn't didn't even meet him directly that day, but I connected with him. And from there, we, we didn't continue going to that class, but we did start going to church periodically. And um, Randy used, it was church was pretty small back then. Randy used to have the habit of he'd preach and then he'd go to the, the door and greet people as they would leave. And so I went to church and we were leaving and uh, he shook my hand and I told him my name and he said, oh, 
I've been meaning to get with you. And I knew why he had seen the question mark, you know? Right. Um, and so, um, he said, um, he said he was in the process of putting together these four booklets to help businessmen to understand what it means to be a Christian. And would I be willing to meet with him? And so, uh, in my arrogance, I thought, well, yeah, I could probably help him out. Uh, <laughs> and I agreed, to, I agreed to meet with him. And, um, so we, we started meeting, um, uh, at, um, <clears throat> one of these inexpensive steakhouses we'd go to. And, and the first week, um, he <laughs> gave me an assignment. Can you believe that? Somebody just meeting you for lunch and they give you an assignment. Uh-huh. Okay. And it's to, to read the first three chapters in the book of John. Well, I had never read the Bible at all. I never had even touched a Bible and I didn't want to, mm-hmm. but he gave me this assignment. And so, and I didn't want to let him down because I really liked him. He's, I thought he's a very interesting going places guy. And uh, so I picked up finally with, I get, with great difficulty, picked up the book. It was uh, it's like it was a poison or something. But finally, I picked it up and I started reading the book of John and I couldn't stop. So I read the whole book of John that week and um, went to meet with Randy the second week. And he said, well, did you do your assignment? I said, well, I read the whole book of John. He said, oh, you were only <laughs> supposed to read the first three chapters. <laughs> Was it, I'm curious, uh, reading the, the Bible for the first time, obviously you didn't want to, but then you did. How did it meet with your expectations? It must have uh, obviously surprised you and intrigued you to have read more than three chapters. This was, yeah. the book of John is the story of Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, and there was, there was something in there that was, was, uh, was gripping me, but the, it was fighting that, that gripping was fighting against my pride, um, of, um, you know, not believing that there was a God or that this could be true. So it was, it was, a, a kind of a battle going on inside of me there, but, but, uh, I did read it hungrily. So I wondered what you thought of the person of Jesus really reading his biography as a, in a sense for the first time. Was it unlike or was he unlike what you expected or who you expected? Well, I didn't really know most of the stories. You know, this is all new to me. Um, and um, it, was, it was like, well, this is fantastic, not in a, oh, that's great, but it just, that, could that really have happened? I mean, that's just um, so unlikely to have happened um, that that um, uh, I was kind of looking at it from the outside, knowing that this, this kind of thing does not happen. And um, so that's that's sort of how I looked at Jesus, and the the miracles. I I guess the the miracles that he was 
perhaps working or the claims that he was making, especially, I guess, as a scientist, um, it probably didn't fit with your view of the world. That's right. You know, those things cannot happen. That was my view. Mm. But there was something really drawing me with, with reading those pages. But you were trying, at that time, I guess it was, in your mind, did, did it have any ring of truth to it at all? Or was it just like a fairy tale, a good story that was incredibly intriguing and gripping? I would say more a, a good story that was in, uh, intriguing and gripping, but this can't be true. Mm. That, that was my feeling at the time. Um, but again, and part of me wanted it and part of me didn't. So then we, we kept on meeting and the last week, the assignment was to pray, to receive Christ. And I told him I'm, I'm not ready. Um, <clears throat> and, um, just, if there's no God, this is just a story. And I'm not going to put my faith and trust in something that's just a story. So he said, okay, well, we're, we're done. We're not going to meet anymore unless something else changes. Um, <clears throat> and so we started going, we, we you know, go to church periodically. Um, and then months later, I picked up a book that my probably atheist sister had given me called Mere Christianity, um, a book you might have heard of. Oh, just, yes, <laughs> I have for sure. Well, um, when she gave me the book, she said, you might want to read this book. It might make me you believe in God. And I remember she said that to me. And I had, that was months and months before that, maybe years. So I picked up that book one night and started reading it. And it was uh, in February. Uh, and so wintertime. And I was lying on the couch all by myself reading this book. And it takes you, C.S. Lewis takes you through the proofs for the existence of God. And that was something I had never heard. And mm. it started making sense to me. And so I put the book down just to think about it. And this thought came in my head that I didn't put there. It just kind of came in and said, I'm a sinner. And I knew that that was the first step of the four-step sinner's prayer. And that was a dangerous thought. And so from the other side came this other thought that said, think about that later. Put it off. Think about it later. And But it came back, I'm a sinner. Think about it later. And finally, I felt like I was hanging on to something with all my might, and I finally just let go. And I went ahead and said what I had been taught was the sinner's prayer, which was, I believe I'm a sinner and I deserve to go to hell and that Jesus died for my sins and I now trust you with my life. Mm -hmm. And I went back to reading the book. But I knew that that was significant. Something had changed right there. Uh, I had too much pride to tell my wife about it, but um, like I said, it was February and we usually keep the house real cool and went to bed not too long after that. And we usually 
bundle up all, pile up the blankets. And, and so I was lying there as we got in bed with nothing covering me and I was sweating and she was all bundled up under the blankets and she leaned over, looked at me and said, what's the matter with you? Must be the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I, again, too much pride to talk about it, but I, I, I thought to myself, wow, I'm going to remember that she said that. Yes. <clears throat> and uh, it, it uh, so the next day, I called Randy and said, uh, Randy, we need to get together for lunch. And he said, uh, how about a, a week from Thursday? And I said, Randy, it's got to be sooner than that. He said, oh, how about today? And so we met that day. And with great difficulty, I shared with him what had gone on. And he said, well, that sounds like it's real, but time will tell. So he was a bit skeptical. Um. I don't know if I don't I don't know if he was skeptical or um, I, I think he saw because I had tears when I was telling the story, so it wasn't like I was faking, and I, I know he had seen a change, but I think it was very wise on his part because what did that say to me? It said you better check is that real, and uh, I think it really helped me to to nail, um, put a nail in it to say, yes, this is real. Mm. So it took about two weeks for me to be able to share with my wife, maybe a week or two weeks to be able to share with my wife what had happened, just because I had so much pride in me. So it, I bet she was surprised. Um, she, she probably was, but um, she's a pretty discerning person, and she probably saw things change in um, <clears throat> the person who was people who were surprised were my college roommate when I called him and uh, the boys down the street that were Christians when I was a kid that had been praying for me most of my life. Oh, you know, yeah, most of my life. Uh, we had some very joyous calls. Oh, I bet they, you know, I think for them probably it really confirmed the, the value of prayer and, um, and never giving up on that real the prayer for another person that sometimes you can see fruit bear many years later. We'll get back to our podcast in a moment, but first I'd like to tell you about an incoming live stream event called Discipleship with C.S. Lewis. Imagine if you, using the reason imagination of C.S. Lewis in the Bible, learn to disciple others in your home, church, and neighborhood like C.S. Lewis did. Imagine if you could learn about C.S. Lewis's life story and how his classic book, Mere Christianity, became the most influential book of the 20th century. Imagine if you could learn how you can guide others to the heart of that book. A live stream event with Dr. Joel Woodruff, president of the C.S. Lewis Institute, will give you the intellectual and illustrative tools to explore with others why faith in Jesus Christ provides the best answers to the questions of life. Based on his new book, Discipleship with C.S. Lewis, a guide to mere Christianity for small groups and mentoring relationships, 
This message may be just what you've been looking for, especially as we consider how to point others to Jesus during this season of Lent. This live stream event will be held on Friday, February 26, 2021 from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. For more information and to register, go to www.cslewisinstitute.org forward slash mere discipleship. Now back to our podcast. So it sounds like in your story, Warren, you had a lot of things kind of coming together. Of course, you know, you were sparked by this journey, by personal tragedy, and then your wife's pursuit of God. But you still had those questions. But somehow those intellectual questions of of God's existence were answered through C.S. Lewis and the Hound of Heaven, um, who was actually seeking you and um and that the bible reading the bible seemed to, to be a pivotal part of your story um, and all of those things were coming together that your willingness changed to see and to find something that you were missing so what a beautiful story of everything kind of coming together over really over a process over a period of time and that there was even though the hounds of heaven were pursuing you, there was a patience there, um, it seems like as well, to allow you to journey at your own pace. Even from the preacher could tell that you needed your own time and space to work through some things. I think that, that uh, that's well, I would actually... Say, yeah, I would say yeah. There's not patience on my part, <laughs> uh, <laughs> on other people's part. I did not want it. I did not want this to be true. Mm. Bought it with everything I had, but I ran out of gas. Uh, shortly after that, you know, I was so very excited about my new faith, and I wanted to tell my family. And uh, I got blasted pretty good, and it didn't go well. And uh, the big thing was evolution, and I, um, I had didn't know anything about creation. Uh, about creation science, any of that. Um, <clears throat> but by golly, I was going to learn. And so I got finally got some books that talked about uh, how creation is scientific and how evolution is a fraud. And that changed. Oh, that, that was another big change for me that was really solidified my faith because Evolution and Christianity don't go together, in my view. Mm. So after I was meeting with Randy, I, I started reading lots of books. And one of them that really impacted me was a book that as an atheist I read called The Battle for the Mind by a guy named Tim LaHaye. It was written in the, in the early 80s. And it talked about secular humanism. And it talked about the fruits of secular humanism versus the fruits of Christianity. And I read that and I thought that's probably true. And I did not like the fruits of what I believed. And it was very difficult for me to reconcile that. At that time, it actually, there was a pain that was in my chest, a tightness in my chest that didn't go away until the day that I finally submitted. So when you say there was a tightness in your chest because of the 
what you were reading in terms of the implications of humanism and atheism, that it was so disturbing to you that you actually felt a physical pain? Yeah, I actually felt a physical pain. It wasn't a, a huge pain, but it was just a little nagging thing that that uh, I didn't even think about. But I noticed that after I become a Christian, it was gone and it's never come back. Um, That's fascinating. As we as we're um, coming to a close, I wondered since you've been on both sides of the story, you know what it means to feel like and to think like an atheist. And you know what that resistance is towards God or or just thinking that there's no evidence for God, really. If there was a curious skeptic listening today, uh, what would you advise them to, to think or to do or, or to consider in terms of God or Christianity? One, one thing to, that is significant for me in that area would be to look at creation and the complexity of creation and to think that uh, how did this just happen by chance? How did the human brain become the most complicated piece of the whole universe by chance? Um, And how did the bombardier beetle get to be able to shoot fire at his enemies from turrets that he can rotate around on either side of his body um, and, and not kill himself with the poison he's squirting at them in his body. Yeah. Uh, things like that are, are, are things that the atheist has a real hard time if he's being honest. The irreducible complexity and specificity and diversity of creation, uh, the fine tuning of creation from the cell to the, the cosmos. There's a lot there, isn't there in terms of, trying to figure out how that might happen just by chance. Yeah, by random mutations uh, over billions of years. I, it, and, uh, <laughs> if, you're, if you've got an open mind to it, it just doesn't work. And so, so you're, you're down to, okay, there has to be another explanation. Well, that's what God, where God comes in. And I, I find that very few Christians are are armed with this kind of um, capability to discuss. So, so that might be a word actually for for Christians really to become informed that that God is not just um, He's, it's not a God of the gaps kind of explanation. You don't just plug in God where you don't know. The answer is that the hypothesis of God, for which atheists say there is no reason to have that hypothesis, is actually that we we know that certain things are the way that they are because of what we do know about the universe, um, that God is a good or best explanation because of, of what we already know about experience, of what we all already know about intellect and the mind and language and all of those things. So it's there is a lot there for us as Christians to really take hold of. Um, in terms of, again, speaking to Christians, I guess that's one of the things that you would probably advise them is to become better educated in terms of the, the arguments for the existence of God. Yes, the arguments for the existence of God, for the uh, 
the evolution creation debate. And the other thing is, is uh, humility. Um, you know, that when you, when an atheist, uh, speaking from in the past, when an atheist runs across someone who takes a really sincere interest in them and doesn't preach at them and tell them things, but, but has good information more in a, you know, by asking questions, um, that, that's, a to me, a more effective way of, uh, opening someone's eyes or helping <laughs> to open their eyes. Mm. Yeah. I, I guess you had that beautiful example of that loving Christian family back in, even as a child that you could see that they had a sincere interest in you, even though you didn't have the same beliefs and I'm sure there was that probably stayed with you. Obviously, if you're still talking with <laughs> that friend, um, there's something there that started and lasted a lifetime, really, and uh, helped you move towards God, even though it was in a perhaps not a, a blatant or overbearing way, but just out of love and humility, like you say, and sincere interest and. That's really beautiful, the way that that has come full circle for you. Oh, it is. It is. Thank you so much, Warren, for being on the podcast today. I think your story is really a beautiful one. You really come a long distance from where you were as a child and, and even as a young adult, resisting God to a place where it sounds like you've got a beautiful legacy now and a family uh, children and grandchildren and, and who all embrace God. So uh, what a what a wonderful life and, and beautiful story to, to really celebrate. So thank you for coming on, on the, pod, the Side B podcast today. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed being here. Thanks for listening to the Side B podcast to hear Warren's story. I'm so glad you joined me today. For questions and feedback about this episode, you can reach me by email at thesidebpodcast at cslewisinstitute.org. If you enjoyed it, subscribe and share this new podcast with your friends and social network. In the meantime, I'll be looking forward to seeing you next time where we'll be listening to the other side.